Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. So how you doing? All right, we're in this series, and I went over in the first service, so that's not a repentance, that's just a warning. Uh, <laughs> That uh, so we're we're this we're in week six of the ten week series on uh, dream to destiny. First week was the pride test. Will you be humbled, or will you will you be humble, or will you be humbled? That's that's how that kind of works. Uh, number two was the pit test. Uh, how do you respond to betrayal and disappointment? You know when your dysfunctional family sells you into slavery, you know, your loving family. Uh, the palace test, we'd be a good steward of what doesn't belong to you and how that applies in our lives. The, the purity test, uh, will you do the right thing when no one is watching? It's the stewardship of your secret life. And uh, how many of you, have any of you been watching the, the new podcast Beyond Sunday? Right beyond Sunday? No, more than Sunday, and beach bath, beach bath, and beyond Sunday. I don't know beyond. No, more than Sunday, more than Sunday. It's a new podcast that Tim and Lauren and Tim and different people are doing. But uh, they're so what they're doing is that they in they try in in about fifteen to twenty minutes they try to explain the sermon so that it makes sense. Uh, that's their goal. Their goal. This is what he meant to say. But he didn't say. No, but they, if you haven't watched any of them, the, Tim and Lauren just did one on purity, and it's a great one. You ought to watch that. Uh, the prison test last week is the perseverance test. It's about life is always about waiting, and when God's moving in our life, it always involves waiting. Nothing, nothing moves in the time we want it to move in. Have you noticed that? And there's something about if, if in faith, as we trust God and we... we we're living for Jesus, those waiting times uh, are, Paul tells us, they're character building times. And when we think of, char- we think of character qualities, but really the main characteristic of, of character is perseverance. To, to, to stay faithful when you don't feel like staying faithful, to stay true and loving and kind. So, so that's one of the main ways that God develops character within us is that we go through difficult seasons. So today we're going to talk about the prophetic test. And uh, it's, it's talking about what authority will you give the Word of God in your life? How are you going to respond to the Word of God? Uh, God tests us by the Word, uh, just like he tests us in every area. You know, it's, we determine if it's a temptation or a test. A temptation and a test can be the same event. Remember talking about this? Temptation and a test are the same event. One is Satan is trying to tempt you to go the wrong direction and destroy you. God is going to use that same thing to strengthen you and get you to go the right direction, for you to learn something, to grow, to be more mature, because you withstood the temptation. You said no to the temptation, and you passed the test, and it makes you stronger. So that's the same thing is true with the Word of God. The prophetic test is... Are we going to let the Word of God test us? 
Or have we made our opinion, this is a problem today, this is the problem we struggle with today with relativism, is that is my opinion, does it have a higher authority than God's word? So if my opinion has a higher authority than God's word, I can always change it to line up with what I want it to be because it's my opinion. So we need a higher authority and we need God's word to be our standard. And so that's what's happening with Joseph. Joseph has a dream. So he has this dream and he thinks it's from, he believes it's from God uh, that he's going to rule. He has two different dreams that he shares with his family when he's 17. And sometimes when you have a dream, sometimes you just need to keep it to yourself uh, for a while and let it see how it's going to work out. But he has a dream that he's going to rule over his brothers. He's got 10 older brothers and his father prefers him and he's made him a coat of many colors. You've all heard of Joseph's coat of many colors. And he's preferred, but also he's picked on by the other 10 brothers because he's, he's the baby. There's, there's going to be another there's a younger brother coming, Benjamin, into the story eventually. Uh, so he's got a dream and he, you know, he shares it and uh, it doesn't go well for him. So he's got this little bit of light. He's got a little bit of revelation. So he's got a dream that someday he's going to rule over his family. He has no idea what that's going to look like. He doesn't know when. He doesn't know how. In reality, and he doesn't know it's because he maybe had too many anchovies at supper. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he doesn't absolutely know this is a word from God for me for the future. So, uh, so he has, he doesn't under, he has no understanding of this process that this whole process that now he's thrown in the pit and then he's in prison and then he's, then Potiphar's wife lies about him and he's put in the prison again, or he's put in from the palace to the prison, all of that, that process. He doesn't know that he's, he's living it. And here we're looking at the backside of it. It looks so clean and neat, you know? We're looking at the backside of this story, and we're like, isn't this cool how this all worked out? But when, if you were in the middle of this, if you were Joseph in the middle of this, it would have seemed messy. And like God wasn't involved in it. And, and if God was involved in it, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right? I mean, if you think about it, if you're Joseph, and, and you... so. So then there's this long amount of time. It ends up being 13 years from the time he has the dream to the time that he ends up being made by Pharaoh, the number two guy in the land of Egypt. So it's like this 13 years. It's a long time. And often time is a part of the test. The the time that it takes. You'll find that Moses was 25 years. Joseph was 13 years. David was 13 years. Paul was 13 years. Uh, before they got to move into the promise that they believed. Psalm 105, verse 17 says this. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, and they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. So he had a word he had this dream that he believes is from God. And then the word of God is testing him. So the true word of God, not just his word that he's got, but the true word of God, God's plan, God's, God's real plan is testing him. He's being tested by all these 
10 tests. So the prophecy test is we're tested to see, are we going to obey the word of God or not? That's the test. Are you, I mean, this, are you going to obey it? So this is how the story plays out. So we're in the point of the story where he's in prison, and the cupbearer and the baker have been thrown in prison too, and then they have dreams. Uh, Genesis chapter 40. It came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, so he put them in confinement at the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were in confinement in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? And they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and he said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me and in the vine there were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out and the clusters produced grapes, ripe grapes. Now, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes. I don't know, I feel like I need to squeeze. And, and squeeze them in the Pharaoh's cup. And I put a cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Then he, then he adds this part we talked about last week. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing that should, that should have put me in a dungeon, dungeon. So, you know, this is crazy thing that he has this thought, you know, that I'm, I'm going to tell him this, and he's going to tell Pharaoh, who just, just almost killed him but didn't kill him, that he's going to say anything to Pharaoh, and he's not going to. And to even think that if he said something, there was, that he, his response would be, well, yes, let's let that Hebrew slave out. Let's let him out of jail. He's been unjustly accused. He didn't care less for this Hebrew slave. And so, you know, and you ever do this? You ever try to tell God how to fix stuff? You know, you give God the plan and he doesn't do it. Uh, so we're frustrated by that sometimes. So when the chief baker, you know, he's like, oh, good, man, this is good news. This is great. He just got a good interpretation. I want to tell him my dream. I can't wait to tell him my dream. And the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably. He said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream. And behold, there were three baskets. He had three baskets. I've got, you know, he had a basket, I had got three, and of white bread on my head. And in the top three bas baskets, there were some sort of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation, Th three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and birds will eat the flesh off of you. It wasn't quite as good an interpretation as the first one, Right? 
Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph had good news and bad news. Right? And in this prophetic, seeing this as prophetic and how God wants us to use the word of God, telling the truth is not always popular or easy. To tell one guy, it's going to be great for you, you're going back to where you were. The other guy is, sorry, but in three days, you're going to be dead. Now that's, that's a little... To say to one guy, hey, it's going to go great. You're going right back to your position. You're going to be Pharaoh's cupbearer, which cupbearer is a very important role because poisoning, it's a deadly role, but it, poisoning was a major way of, of, of assassinating rulers in that day. They would poison them. And so the cupbearers basically were someone to test the food. So they had to be a very trusted person that they put a lot of trust in that this person's not going to it's not going to you know, trick me so that I get poisoned. So the cupbearer had a very decisive role, often was also a, kind of a consultant to the king. Uh, and then the baker, you know, and he tells the baker, well, I'm sorry, but it's not going to work, work out for you. And so the thing about the word of God is that the word of God in a relative culture, it's hard for us because people struggle with absolute truth. This is truth. This is not. So as believers, we believe that we have truth in Jesus Christ. It creates a difficulty because we're living in a culture that struggles with truth. And so we want, sometimes we want to say things in a way we want to compromise the truth so that we can get along better. Right? So Jesus says this, sometimes telling the truth creates a barrier. It's a stumbling block. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a stumbling block. So the word creates a stumbling block. I mean, you have to say for the baker, it was a stumbling block, right? For the cupbearer, it was a great promise. It was, it was positive. It was awesome. But for the baker, it was a stumbling block. And the same thing plays out in the way we, with the gospel. This is kind of a, a picture about how when the gospel is pr presented, when we are people of the word of God, there's going to be people that are going to say, that's awesome. And there's going to be people to say, that's horrible. Jesus said this, John chapter 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said, there's only one way to heaven, it's me. Now, he said this in the context. He said, there are other, he said, said, everybody who's tried to go another way, he said, they're all thieves and robbers. I mean, you know, we, sometimes when we think about Jesus, we think, well, you know, Jesus, meek and mild, he never said anything controversial. He almost never said anything that wasn't controversial. And he basically, he just said very clearly, I'm the only way to heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says this, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone, a, a, 
a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very stone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. So people stumble. People stumble. If you say Jesus is the only way to heaven, people stumble on that. Another area where people are offended by the gospel is that people are offended when they're told that they're sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned. Who, who sinned? Everybody. Not, not just those out there, us in here. We've all sinned. Probably today. <laughs> right? we've, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the reality of that is, if I recognize this, salvation comes when you realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. When you realize, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. As a Christian, we we don't think we're better than other people. A lot of times people think, people who are outside of Christianity, they look at Christianity and they think, look at that bunch of hypocrites. They think they're better than everybody. First of all, yes, we are a bunch of hypocrites because none of us are living to the standard of our salvation. I mean, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ, and we're not there yet, and we recognize that. In the process of that happening, the Bible calls sanctification. In other words, God is conforming us to the image of Christ. So hopefully we're making progress, but we're not always making progress, but hopefully we are making progress, because, and we recognize we have a need. So yes, we are hypocrites, but because we're not all that we could be, but we're also recognized that we're saved by grace, by the work of Christ, and it's not because that we're great. You know, it's because we recognize, recognize I, I'm a mess and I need a savior. I'm a sinner. My goal is to stop sinning. I'm not, I'm, my identity now is not that I'm a sinner, but even as a Christian, I still sin. Just me, nobody else in here. You know, I just, y'all got so quiet. I, was like, I felt like you were distancing yourself from me. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, okay, there you go, buddy. Sinner, preacher. <laughs> so that, that's, that's hard for some people. It, 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 it creates distance. You're, I'm a sinner. I, I, I try, you know, because here, here's what will happen. I've done lots of funerals for people that I, I didn't know where they stood. They were not, they were not a part of the church. And, and, and the immediately, we want to get to, because there's something about they believe that a preacher is somehow, what the preacher says at the funeral determines whether or not they're going to go to heaven or not. This is a, it's a, a myth, a fallacy about funerals. People think, well, you know, so before the funeral, they'll say, Bob was so wonderful. He was... He was a, a great guy. 
He was a wonderful guy. He really loved people. He served people. Oh, Bob. And then after the funeral, we'll say, man, that Bob is a rascal. It's like, what, you think that because I said something good that he's going to go to heaven? I don't even control over that. That's in the hands of the Lord. And, and so it, it's not, but the belief is, is that salvation is based on your behavior. So, so we would say, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good guy. You know, people say, I hadn't killed anybody. Like, that's the standard? <laughs> I haven't killed anybody. Okay, well, that's, a, that's setting the bar pretty low, <laughs> you know. But, but, you know, so, but that's offensive that people realize that they need a Savior. 2 Corinthians 2, I've always loved this verse. But thanks be God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests to us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. We are a fragrance of Christ to God to those who are being saved and among whose are perishing. To one an aroma of death to death, to another aroma of life to life. And who is adequate to these things? That as we walk through life and we encounter people, people are going to see us either as an aroma of life that's going to lead them to Christ or it's going to, they're going to, it's going to push them further away. In other words, the truth, the truth of salvation in Jesus' name is, is offensive to them. But just living the life, just being present, there's a fragrance that should come from your life because you're a follower of Christ. And even if you don't say anything, and even if you're not, not you know, preaching to them, you need to do this, and you shouldn't be doing that, but there should be a fragrance that comes from your life and that because you're a follower of Christ, that it's either going to draw people to Christ or it's going to push people away. And you're doing, it's not that you're doing things to push people away. You're not trying to push people away. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, whether then, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. So he's talking to this, the Corinthian church is, is living with this cultural change. Uh, the Roman culture was very filled with all kinds of gods, but, but they didn't have much of a moral standard that the Jews would have had. So they had all these, you know, crazy sexual practices and they had all these idols that they were offering meat to. They were offering sacrifices to. So Paul is trying to help these Corinthians navigate this. He's saying about, you know, whether you're going to, you know, you need to be careful about whether you're going to eat meat offered to idols because, you know, then some people might question you, like, why are you eating meat offered to idols? Because they would take the meat and then sell that meat in the marketplace. But so he said, you know, be careful about what you do because you don't want to offend people. Because some people it's going to bother if you eat meat offered to idols, and some it's not. So, so he says, you know, this is a hard thing. He said, you know, so you, you, wanna, you don't want to cause other people to stumble. So you want to be careful about what you do and how you, how you live. So he says, whatever you do, so in relation to that, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Just I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the prophet of the many, so that they may be saved. So he says, give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or to the church. He says, just don't offend anybody. Well, that's impossible, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, you can't help but be offensive, but he's saying, you know, he's just saying, be aware. Be aware as you live. Everything that you do, do it in a way that you're not trying to to be obnoxious and offensive about how you do it because the goal is, the goal is 
and we forget this, the goal is not me getting to express my opinion about everything. The goal is people to be saved. So you, you actually made, listen, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just plunge you into here, okay? You may need to not talk about your political views because, you know, here we go again. Jesus, help me. <laughs> I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything that's going to get me, get me killed prematurely. Uh, okay. So, so today we've just got all these forums with all these social media sites where we can just vomit our opinion about everything. And so I'm just, as a believer, as a believer, our goal should be to glorify God. So sometimes to glorify God, we need to not say something. Sometimes, so, so that you'll, because I don't want to blow my chance of sharing Jesus Christ with somebody, a friend of mine that's lost, being able to tell them, because I put so much, I invested so much energy in either my, in my opinion about some other unimportant thing, or important thing, however you want to define it. But anyway, so so I want to, I want to, I want the word itself to be the stumbling block, not me. That's the challenge. That's, that's the difficulty. And how, how do we do that? So it's, it's not impossible. It's almost impossible, but it should be our goal. I don't want people to be offended by me. I want, if they're going to be offended, I want to be offended by Jesus is the only way to salvation. He says, to the Jews I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law, as though not myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law as being without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak, and I've become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So, there's, so those that are under the law, you okay, Joe? Okay, all right. <laughs> so those, you were getting close there. I was just wondering if, you know, if we were going to have like a throwdown here or something. <laughs> Because I was going to have somebody else come do it. Uh, <laughs> say, Tim. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So to those who are under the law, he taught the Jews. So to the Jews, he, he didn't talk to the Jews he, he talked the way he talked to the Gentiles. Because the Jews had this whole history and this whole basis, and they're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the Messiah to come and save them from Rome. They're looking for the Messiah to come and, and deliver them. And so he preaches to them, this man, Jesus Christ, he's the Messiah, the one you've been looking for. He's the Messiah. But the, the Gentiles weren't looking for the Messiah. They worshiped everything. They had, you know, they worshiped all the Roman gods, and I can't tell you their names because I get them confused with the Greek gods because they're the same, but they just gave them Roman names. So it's either Zeus or Apollo. and all of, So all of those gods, they worshiped all those gods and, and Artemis, and, and they had all these shrines, and they did all of this stuff. So the way Paul appeals to them, he doesn't appeal to them through Jesus is the Messiah. He appeals to them as the, the Son of God came and walked among us 
And then he died for us. He loves us so much because they had no concept of God loving them. They would appease God. They would offer sacrifices to their God, hopefully that he wouldn't punish them or they wouldn't make him angry. They had no concept of their Roman or Greek gods loving them. But Paul said, I want you to know something. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his own son to die in your place. And not only that, not only that, but he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us, and he's taking us to be with him. So he had, he's saying, I had to speak differently to different crowds. You know what Paul is saying? Know your crowd. Everybody's not the same. You don't say the same thing to everybody all the time. You're going you're gonna to have to be open. He said, to the weak, I became weak. He could actually say to people, I, hey, I've struggled with that too. Hey, I, you know, you know what I've learned? I've, I've learned to trust Christ with that. He said, man, I've gone through times where I didn't have any money and I was broke. Just like you're going through now. I've been through those same times and, and I've learned how to be a base and I've learned how, how to abound. I've, I've learned how to trust Jesus in that time. And so he was able to share out of his weakness. You see, he says, if anybody was weak, he said, I'm weak too. I've been there too. So see, the, the Lord wants us to use the word in a way that we, we can relate to people and be effective with people. Jesus said this, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works. Glorify your father who is in heaven. First Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So our lives, our lives lived according to the word, there's going to be good deeds. How, live such good lives. How do we love God? How do we love God? Do you love God by showing up for church? That's one. That's, that, that's, that's good. I mean, a lot of you are thinking, you know, look, Jesus, I'm suffering. I'm sitting through a sermon. You owe me. You owe me big time, God, especially today. Uh, you know, I mean, that's. But the way we show God, the love of God, that we love God is how we love other people. You demonstrate, we demonstrate the love that we have for God, not by, oh, I'm a good worshiper. We should do that, and that's great. That's not how you demonstrate the love of God. You demonstrate the love of God by how you love people, and that's how the early church turned the world upside down, is that they exhibited the love of Christ in such a powerful way. First of all, they were willing to die, and they died joyfully for their faith. And not only that, then they lived sacrificially. They did things, they... The, the Romans threw their female children away on the trash pile. And so the Christians, two groups that rescued those children, the slavers and Christians. So the Christians, to rescue them from the slavers and to rescue them from death, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do it for profit as the slavers were doing, they raised them as their own children and as their own families. And it created, it created a reality that as time went by, as Rome continued in this barbaric practice of throwing away female children, that all the female marrying age women were Christians. 
So the they, they turned the, so now, and, and Paul says, listen, you can't be unequally yoked. You can't marry a non-Christian. So if you want to, if you want to marry that Christian girl, you better gotta, you have to become a Christian. And just by loving people. And during the plagues, they all, they had several plagues throughout the first, you know, you know, thousand years of the church. And they would, what was common because the cities of, of, of Rome were so densely populated that if had people had any means at all, when the plague started, they would get out, they would go to the country. They would get out of the city so they could get away from disease. And they would often abandon their own family members there to die because there wasn't anything they could do for them. You know, let's stick a leech on them and help that makes them better. Uh, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have any modern medicine. But Christians w- would find these people and they would just give them basic care, just basic nursing care. They would, they'd make sure they had water to drink, clean water to drink, and maybe fix them a little soup or something, some little nourishment. And those people, the survival rate of people that were cared for, of course, to those that were abandoned, you can imagine, went up exponentially. So that... So when they they come back into town, the person's not dead. They're alive. And why are they alive? Because the Christians loved them enough to stay. And many of the Christians who did that died themselves from the plague. But it was a demonstration of the love of Christ. And how we do that, how we demonstrate the love of Christ, helps us turn the world upside down. So, So how we live is important. It makes a big difference. So I got... I got three things I'd tell you because I'm out of time, but I didn't finish this in the first service, and so I want to finish it. You know, y'all are special. Uh, I want to finish with this. How do we rightly interpret the Word of God? Second Peter chapter one verse sixteen. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven, and when we were with him on the holy mountain, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But... Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Spirit of God. So here's how we interpret the Scripture. First of all, Scripture should be interpreted in context. No Scripture stands alone without other Scriptures to aid in its understanding. We don't ever develop a doctrine on one scripture. The second thing we need to recognize, so scripture should be interpreted only in context and it was not written to us, but it's written for us. So we need to understand there is a context that it was written into. So when you read Corinthians, you think this is some weird stuff. It was written to the Corinthians in a weird age, and they're dealing with some, some specific things. We don't have to deal with those same things. So it was written to them. So there may be principles that can emerge, but you can't, you know, it's like 
read the whole read that whole portion about your head's covered and being uncovered because your head covers glory and your head uncovered is this you're like what but there's a context and so we always want to look in the context one, one verse that people use all the time Jeremiah 29:11 this is no the, these are the plans I know for you says the Lord these are the plans to give you a future and a hope and people that's a that is a refrigerator magnet bible verse it is totally taken out of context. It doesn't, it's written to the Jews that are in captivity. And if you read the verse before that, it says, in 70 years, I'm going to send you back. In 70 years. This is a long time. Everybody who got that promise was dead when the promise was fulfilled. How do you like that for a promise? I'm going to write this on the refrigerator. I'll be dead when this happens. <laughs> I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. You'll be dead when it happens, but I still have a plan. So you just, you, you want to know what's the, what's the context? What's the cultural context? What, 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 was the, what was the author trying to say? You know, you know how, how is God moving in that? Second thing is, Scripture should not be interpreted according to one's own individual liking or agreement. Scripture's going to agree with you. Scripture sh should direct us. It should correct our course. The word, the, one of the first words that Jesus spoke was repent. He didn't mean that in a bad way. He's just saying, hey, you're going the wrong direction. The, the most helpful thing you, you can have, if you've got a map, it's good to have a map, but it's not good to have a map unless you know where you are on the map. Because a map is a, but if you, can't, if you can't identify where I am on this map, and then how does that relate? Because if I'm here, how do I get out of here? You need to know where you are. And God speaks a word to the nation of Israel, and he says to them, listen, reroute him. Turn around. You're going the wrong direction. So it brings, it, it brings us instruction. It convicts us. It convicts us about sin. We'll read something and say, oh, man. You're, maybe you'll read the part where it says, you know, forgive one another as I've forgiven you. And you're like, I don't like that. I don't want to forgive people. This person, you don't understand how this person's hurt me. You don't understand. And it's funny that that scripture doesn't, won't negotiate with you. It's just like, this is what Jesus said. Forgive one another as I have forgiven you. How did he forgive you? Guilty as a sinner. He forgave you, so forgive other people. I don't want to. I don't care. <laughs> I don't like that. Oh, tough. So it convicts us. It instructs us. It encourages us. I think I said this earlier. If your God always agrees with you, then you've made a God of your own making. The third thing is Scripture cannot be accurately interpreted apart from the Holy Spirit. Amen. You notice what he said? For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And here's the thing. God's word is not just a book written on pages. It is the living word of God. Amen. Here's an incredible thing that happens. It happens to me almost every week that people will say to me, hey, I really like what you said about such and such and such and such. And I'm thinking, I didn't say that. But 
be good. You know what happens? And you see this happen in your own life. You ever read a scripture and you've read it a hundred times, but you read it again and you think, I never saw that. What's happening is that the Holy Spirit is making the word come alive. And it is a living word. It's not a dead book. It's God speaking to us. It's, it's God. But everything God speaks to us is always going to line up with what he's already spoken. It's not going to be a private interpretation. He's not going to give you permission to sin that he hasn't given to everybody else. He's not going to say, listen, you get to sleep around. Nobody else can. And you wouldn't believe how many people look at their Bibles and make up stuff like God's given them special permission to sin, and he doesn't do that. So we don't interpret that kind of, you know, we're going to make it fit my lifestyle. What we want to do is we want to make our lives fit Jesus. <laughs> and we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, okay, I got to stop. Let's stand. I'm done. You, you know, kind of. But uh. so just, would you just, just close your eyes for just a moment? Just think about this. Is there, is there something in the Word of God that you've rejected? Because either you didn't like it, you didn't want to agree with it, you didn't like being called a sinner, or you didn't like that Jesus was the only way, you've rejected it. Is there something in the Word that you've rejected? Is there something that, that you've rejected because it's something that you want to keep doing, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God tells you to stop, repent, and turn around? Because He wants to, He wants to, He wants to confess form us to the truth. He wants to change us by the truth. It's the, it's the word test. Are you going to do his word? Are you going to say, Lord, I want to be obedient? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Lord, help us to have that kind of love. We, we want to do what you say. We want to build our life on the rock, not on the opinion of men, not on the ever-changing, ever-changing folly of men. Lord, help us to build on the rock and say yes to you. And if there's an area of our life that we need to say yes, you're convicting us and we've pushed it away. We've pushed away and said, I, I don't want to give this sin up. I don't want to give this up. We've just pushed away. Lord, help us right now to say yes to your Holy Spirit and surrender ourselves and say, God, I want to do it your way. Not my way, your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I love you. Thanks for coming today. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.